If you have your Bible, you can open it to Galatians chapter 3. We're starting with verse 29, or I'm sorry, verse 15, 3.15 this morning. Uh, before we get there, let's, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for uh, the opportunity to come into your presence, Father. God, I pray now for these next moments that we are together, that you would draw us into your truth, Father, and I pray that, that your Son, Jesus, would be magnified. I pray that we would be knocked out by your truth, God. God, I pray that you would wrestle us to the ground with your truth, Father, and we would look to you in surrender, surrendering to who you are, surrendering to the joy that you have set before us. God, free us from distraction, free us from worry, free us from thoughts of the weather outside and just allow us to, to move in close to hear what you have to say to us this morning. I thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. Uh, <clears throat> I want to foreshadow a bit this morning. I want to start at the end. So I, I said we're going to start with Galatians 3.15, but, but go to the end of Galatians. <clears throat> I want to... I'm sorry, the end of Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. 3.26. This is the close of where we'll be today. But I want to I foreshadow for us and, and get to work to, to show us Christ. But, but ultimately, let's read those last four verses in Galatians 3. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Listen closely what... Paul is writing to you. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. Every one of you in this room just got mentioned in that verse 28. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is this is it where we want to listen in really close. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. And Abraham's offspring we'll talk about later. That's Christ. You are Christ's. You belong to Him. You're heirs according to the promise. And I, I, I want to I foreshadow for that because Paul is... Paul's very deep and theological and all that stuff that we're going to get into in the, the verses preceding this. And so we can, we can easily get lost in, in what he's talking about, the law and the promise and Abraham and the prophets and Moses and all this stuff. We can easily get lost. But I want us to, to focus in on, on this thought of who we are in Christ. Um, so three, four promises that are made in Galatians 3 about those who place their faith in Jesus. First, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. I want you to know that as, as we're walking. Don't be confused in Paul's deep theological discussion that we're going to get into in a second. But, but be very aware that this is who you are. 
In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. If you've been immersed into Christ, you have put on Christ. The word baptized, I, I don't want to, that's, that's what it says in, in Galatians 3. If you were baptized into Christ, I don't want, I don't want you to get confused and as a put our religious context in what baptized means. It, that word means immersed. If you've been immersed into Christ, then you've put on Christ. Period. Number three, there is no one better than another. You are all in Christ. If we were to somehow spray some sort of spiritual spray on us, and we could all see how we are right now with Christ, who is, who is running the hardest after Christ and who is running the farthest away from Christ, if we, we were able to, to see that in each other, none of us is better than another. Slave free, Greek, Jew, male, female is what it says in verse 28. None of that stuff matters. We are all in Christ, period. And this is promises made about you. So, so no matter where you are in your journey with Christ this morning, you're no better or no worse than the person who's in the whole history of universe has been to Christ. You are Christ. You have put on Christ. No matter where you sit this morning, that's you, Paul speaking to you. And number four, the last one, you are, you are all heirs to Jesus. And that's the one that I want you to stop and breathe in. I have, this week has been a, a crazy week. Uh, last week was a, was a crazy week. And I've, I've encountered some friends and some friends of friends and some friends of friends' parents who are just walking through some really hard stuff. And some of you guys, I might not even know, are walking through some really hard stuff. But I want you to know that you are an heir to Jesus Christ. I want the silence of, of that phrase to, to just wash over you. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite movies is a movie called The Sixth Sense. It's a Made me fall in love with the writer-director uh, M. Night Shyamalan, uh, who has since not done so well in the, the film industry. Uh, however, he did make a few good ones, but and this was one of my favorites. And in, in that scene, or in that movie, really the, one of the first scenes, the first ten minutes of the movie, I, I think most of you probably have seen this movie. Uh, in the first ten minutes of the movie, the, direct, the writer-director Shyamalan shows us everything we need to know. You guys familiar with what I'm talking about? He, Bruce Willis is a character. He makes this, uh, he gets this award and he, he's out with his wife and he comes home and there's, he's a psychiatrist and there's a, a, a person that he's treated who has just lost it in his bathroom. He's broken into his house and he's in his bathroom and he shoots Bruce Willis. Uh, and everything you need to see in that movie happens there in that 10 minutes, that first 10 minutes. We don't connect with what is actually happening, and so we're confused the rest of the movie with, with what happened. What happened is, if you've seen the movie, Bruce Willis dies, but we don't, we don't actually see him look like he dies, so we're, we're assuming that he's dead. But what Shyamalan has shown us is that Bruce Willis is dead. In the rest of the movie, we are caught up in the cinematography and caught up in the, the details of, of the moments the engagement that he has with this little boy. 
and the engagement that we perceive him to have with other people that are alive, and we get lost and forget that we just watched him get shot. But as you go back and watch this movie a second time, those circumstances that he finds himself in are totally different because, oh yeah, he's dead. He's not really talking to his wife at their anniversary dinner. She's not really angry at him. She is sad that he's gone. When she says, why did you leave me? He says, I didn't leave you. They're not really having a conversation. She is probably arguing with God. Why did you allow him? Why Why did you leave me? But if we know the truth of what happened, the circumstances of the movie are totally different. There's lots of movies you can apply this, this thought to. That the, There's a, a twist at the end. You're like, oh yeah, now the rest of the movie makes a lot more sense. And I, I foreshadow this, uh, who we are in Christ, before we get into all this law, Moses, prophet stuff that can confuse us, to show us the end. The end of your life is you are in Christ. There are circumstances in your life, there is cinematography in your life, that Satan uses to trick you into thinking that the truth is not the truth. Just like the movie, Shyamalan is tricking you using writing skills and cinematography skills to trick you into thinking that Bruce Willis is really alive. Satan is using trickery and circumstances to trick you into thinking that maybe you are not in Christ. But the truth of the matter is, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter where you are, Bruce Willis is dead. You are in Christ. Don't allow anything to confuse you there. Confused, lost in a moment, distracted by life. Our inclination is to want to earn our relationship with Christ. And when we fail, we think that we have failed. But ultimately, Christ is done. It's finished. Just like Shyamalan shows all we need to know in the first 10 minutes of that movie, here, I have shown you all we need to know about who you are in Christ. Make no mistake. So let's get to the scripture. Galatians 3.15. I want to bring out just a, a few points here. Paul, again, is, is very intellectual here, but, but don't get confused in the moment of looking at the scripture and don't get confused in the moment of of whatever is going on in your life that brings you to this moment in this day don't get don't be confused by circumstances uh first paul tells us that jesus is the promise skip to to verse 17 and and i want to actually don't look at your bible look up at the screen on verse 17 through 18 because we can we can get confused and Galatians 3, most of the time where the word promise occurs, it's the promise that he's talking about is Christ. So don't be confused with Paul's theology and read this with me. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, did not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. He's talking about a covenant that he made with Abraham, that I'm your God and, and you're, my, you're my people and I'm going to bring a promise through you. The law did not break that covenant. So as to make Jesus 
void. The promise that Abraham made to, to Abraham is Christ. I'm going to bring somebody that's going to fulfill all of, of everything that I, I want, all of everything in the world, and it's going to be Jesus. So when we see this promise here, the law, which came 430 years after I made the covenant, so as to make Jesus void. The law does not make Jesus void. For in the inheritance, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by Jesus. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until Jesus came. And it was put into place through angels by an intermediary. Promise is what's spoken there. Don't be confused by the circumstances. Look to Christ. That's who you are. Jesus is the promise. The second thing, the law, and when, I'm, when I say the law, I'm talking about the rules that you're, you find in Scripture that God has given us. Old Testament stuff. The law is a tool. First, know that back when the law was given, know that Moses knew from the very beginning that we would fail. And the law is nothing more than a tool. There are churches all over this nation that serve the law. There are people all over this nation in those churches that serve the law. But the law's purpose is only a tool. We'll get to, to more about that in a second. But Moses knew from the very beginning that we would fail. Deuteronomy 31, verse 26 says, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am still yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I might speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. Even before the law existed, even before any human being who was in relationship with God knew anything about the law, Moses, the one who came to give the law to the people, knew that you're going to break this law, and I'm going to put it in front of you, and I want you to put it in front of you so, it, so you see how lacking you are in your ability to follow the law of God. So why would God bring, give us something to show us how, how awful we are? Because it's pointing to Christ. Because the law is a tool. The second thought under the law is a tool is the law cannot give life. Look to, to verse 21, Galatians 3. Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Okay, 
Here's again where a time we can get confused in the circumstances of the moment because, because Paul is talking seminary level stuff here. Let's go back and, and read verse 21 again. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if following rules could give life, then your relationship with Christ would be by your following rules. But that's not the case. Your relationship with God is through Christ alone, period. Not by following rules. So don't get lost in the moment. Don't get lost in the trickery that Satan is trying to use the cinematography, just like Shyamalan, to confuse you, to get you to think that what is true is not true. And what is true is you are alive in Christ by faith. Don't get confused with the law. Don't let the cinematography and the circumstances of your life confuse you. The law, following the law, does not give life. Faith does. The third thing, the law was a tutor. Verse 24 and 25, Galatians 3. We're going to see the word tutor that I've just said here show up as guardian. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. This word guardian slash tutor is a Greek word, and it, it is uh, an office, an office among the Greek and Roman people of the day, a, a job for someone to do. I'm gonna, I've got children, I'm going to hire a tutor. And not a tutor to teach them math, a tutor to teach them morality. Among the Greeks and Romans, the name was applied to trustworthy slaves who were charged with the duty of supervising the life and morals of boys belonging to the better class. The boys were not allowed so much as a step out of the house without them before arriving at the age of manhood. So, you can, you can see what this, the purpose of this individual was to a, a family, in the, a, a Greek or a Roman family. And that purpose is our purpose, is the purpose of the law to us, to guide us, to direct us, to, to keep us moving towards Christ. And that's its only purpose. It's, it's, it, they're not steps to God. It's its only purpose. The last thought, the law serves to push you to the beauty of relationship and faith. God uses the law to get you to the end of yourself so that you surrender. Uh, give you an, a, a kind of an illustration example of this. Um, I said this, this week and last week have been kind of kind of crazy. A lot of a lot of just a lot of pressure and a lot of stuff going on. Working an, another job and preparing for sermons and and just raising children and all that stuff just doesn't allow for for that much time for just to sit and breathe and exhale. Um, and this week, uh, I got a call from a friend, or actually, my wife got a text from a friend who had a friend of theirs whose parent needed something, uh, needed their driveway shoveled. And could you guys go do it? Yeah. Can you guys gather up some people to go do it? Yeah, that's, that's fine. 
Jen says. So Jen comes to me and says, you need to go to this house and, and shovel this driveway. And this was like the only 30 minutes of my, my weekend for me to just... And now, I'm going to... That 30 minutes is gone. It's not mine anymore. And so I, I get up, disgruntled. I don't want to do this. But I'm thinking to myself... This, this is a, an older single lady and her driveway, she probably, she could slip and she could fall. She can't do it herself. Uh, scripture says, take care of the widows and the orphans. I, I, don't, I don't know this lady's circumstance enough if she's a widow or not. All I know is she's a single lady and she's probably in her 50s or 60s. And So, all right, I'll go do this. And so I am, I'm, I'm currently in this moment a slave to the law. God wants me to do this, so I'm going to do it, but I don't want to, and I'm going to drag my feet, and, and my shoulders are slumped. I don't want to do this. Get in the car, put the shovel and some salt in the back of the car, and drive to, to where I'm supposed to go. And I'm just, I'm not in a good spot. And somewhere along the way, uh, God just, smacked me in the head. And I thought about Christ on the cross. And here I am upset at this 30-minute sacrifice, this 30-minute intrusion into my life to better somebody else who, can't, who, who needs something done for them that they can't do for themselves. And I am broken at myself centeredness and and i swear to you from from that moment it is less about following a rule that god had placed for me which it had been up until that point and more about christ i see the sacrifice that you made for me the intrusion that your life on this planet and the cross was to who you are and i can't give up 30 freaking minutes how how awful God, I surrender what I want and who I am to who you are. And I don't say that to, to say, hey, look at our pastor, look what he did. I say that to say, shoveling that driveway was the most beautiful experience I've had in about three months. And with each scoop of that shovel, with each shove of that shovel, every time I threw salt down, hallelujah, holy God, thank you for the cross. I surrender who I am and who I want to be and what I want to do with my life to who you are. And it's, it's not a religious thing. It is because at the end of that surrender, at the end of that selflessness is perfect, unending, satisfying joy. Trust me, that's where it is. We can run around this world being confused with what God wants from us. We can run around this world trying to fulfill law and slumping our shoulders, aggravated at what God has called us to do because we don't want to do it. Or we can say, yes, God, I believe you that I can trust you and follow you because at the end of following you is perfect, communing, abiding joy. It's... I wish that all of you could have been with me at that moment shoveling that driveway and I could have preached what God is preaching to, to my heart in those moments because it was gorgeous. And so what I, what I mean to say is 
The law serves to push you towards more beautiful, more beautiful, more intimate relationship with God. The law is what guided me to go and do this. My inability to do it with a cheerful heart broke me, which caused me to look and see the beauty of the cross. It brings us to worship. And I hope when you engage your sin, when you engage your selfishness, that God gives you enough perspective to see your failure and the beauty that it brings. One of my favorite verses is is in Psalm 51, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. You have shown me my wretchedness and it has caused me to look and see the beauty of who you are. That's the purpose of the law. It doesn't get you to God. It doesn't earn anything for you. What it does is is allow you to, to see the beauty. It pushes you to see the beauty of Christ and his sacrifice. The last thought for us this morning is faith is the focus. Faith is the focus. And we'll define faith in a minute. Dave quoted this voice as, as this verse as he uh, in the call to worship as he, he directed our attention towards Christ. Genesis fifteen six, talking about Abraham. And he believed the Lord, and it counted it, and he counted it to him as righteousness. A lot of people ask me as a pastor, one of the top ten questions or so is how do the if, if Christ hadn't been born and died yet, how did the people before Christ in the Old Testament, how did Abraham, Moses, Noah, Joshua, all those guys, how did they, how did they get to God? Because Christ hadn't been born, hadn't given a sacrifice yet. The truth is, is found in Genesis fifteen six. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Faith is the focus of, of who we are. There's nothing that you can do, that no amount of sh- driveway shoveling that you can do to earn anything with God. Where it is, is just believing in who He is and who Christ is and, and the, the goodness of God. Faith is the focus. Faith justifies us. Verse 24 of Galatians 3. So then the law came and was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And I, I don't want to pass by this justified word. It's a religious word, and I want to make sure we all know what it means. It is a right standing before God. We are, it's a, a legal term. We can stand before God legally without sin. We are, we're there by faith. Faith justifies us. Faith also frees us. In verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We are bound by the law prior to coming to faith in Christ. It's like watching the sixth sense for the first time. We are bound by what we think we know, but we're wrong. But at the end, faith has come to free us. We are imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And, and I want you to, to see those words. We're, we are captive 
and imprisoned by the law. But faith frees us from that. So many people, and it breaks my heart, there there are churches all over this nation and people in those churches all over this nation and even people in in churches that that focus on faith that focus on the gospel there are people that are bound by this need to follow the law we are broken by it captive by it and we can't move towards god we can't move towards serving our people people in our areas because we are bound by the law but faith has freed us from that so we can just be in relationship with God and then our service flows out of that our following the law flows out of this faith when I'm in my car connecting with oh yeah I'm sacrificing just like Christ sacrificed and then this following the law shoveling her driveway becomes an act of freedom and an act of worship and an act of response to who Christ is rather than an attempt to earn some favor with God. Do you see the difference there? How freeing one can be and how shoulder-slumping another can be. This is what it means when we walk around this planet trying to earn favor with God, our shoulders are slumped and we're doing it because we have to. When we connect with faith and surrender and trust in who Christ is, these acts of service, these following the laws, become this great, life-giving, joy-giving, perfect moment. Do you see the beauty there? We, faith, frees us so that when we attempt to follow the law, it's, it's life-giving, it's not shoulder-slumping. And it's, it's where joy is. The third thing, faith unifies us with Christ. Verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Right down the hall from us is a Presbyterian church filled mostly with people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. Here is sort of an interdenominational church filled mostly with people in their 20s and 30s and 40s. There are social divides. There are relational divides. There are denominational divides. There are generational divides. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We, faith unifies us with Christ. And then lastly, and absolutely most importantly, faith makes us heirs. Verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to Jesus. Just, we foreshadowed this thought. I, I, just, I just breathe that in deep. Faith makes you an heir to Jesus. How hard would I have to try to not be Rich Maxidon's kid? I can't not be Rich Maxidon's kid. It's, it's a fact. Ryan Wagner's dad's name is Bud. Ryan could do all that, he, all that he wanted to, try all that he can, but the fact of the matter is, Bud is and always will be his dad. He will be an heir of Bud Wagner 
forever. We can't escape. You are heirs. Breathe it in deep. It's beautiful. Okay, so what is, what is faith? What is this faith that brings us righteousness? What is this faith that justifies us, that frees us, that unifies us, that, that makes us heirs? It's trust and surrender. Faith is trust plus surrender. When I say trust, here's what I mean. I believe with all that I am that you have my best interest in mind and that you're able to come through on what you've promised. I believe you. This is you to God. This is step one of faith. I believe with all that I am that you have my best interest in mind and that you're able to come through on that promise. I believe you. Surrender. I bet my life on that trust. I quit trying to do something that I cannot do. I ask you to expel my desires and replace them with your own. I die to myself. Trust, I believe you. Surrender, I die to myself. Bring those things together and that's faith. That's how we're called to live. That's what brings us our righteousness. That's what brings us our freedom. That's what brings us our joy. God, I believe you. God, I die to myself. I want to call every one of us to surrender. I want to call us to give up trying and learn to trust like this, surrender like this. Give up on living halfway. Give up on empty living. Give up on imprisoned living. Go beyond what I have taught this morning. Go beyond what Paul has taught in Galatians 3 and ask the Spirit to make it known in your heart what it means to surrender, what it means to die to yourself, what it means to trust Him. Lay down who you are in exchange for the promise. Lay down who you are in exchange for Jesus. Say it to yourself now, in this moment, and every day, I give up, I trust only you. Write it down. Write it down on your mirror. Take a dry erase marker and write it on the mirror that you look at every morning. I give up trying. I trust only you. Put on a sticky note on your steering wheel. I give up trying. I trust only you. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to Jesus. Father, I thank you for the beauty of this truth. God, I pray that, that this, this message that you've preached to my heart this week and this month, God, that you've allowed me to preach to these people on this day would not be fleeting, Father, but instead would go deep into our hearts, Father, and change our lives, change the way we act. 
Change the way we serve. Change the way we engage people at this church. Change the way we engage people at our works, Father. God, change the way we engage you. God, allow this to not just be 30 minutes on a snowy morning. God, teach us to surrender. God, teach me to surrender. Teach us to trust you. God, I believe that you are good. I believe that you are able. I believe you. And God, I want to learn to die to myself. Because that's where true life and true joy and intimacy is found. God, I want to know you in the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings. I want to be one with Christ. Crucified. God, and I pray for these here that you would give us whatever it is that we need to rise and walk to our cross. And believing as we climb onto the cross that this is where life is found. And then surrendering as our arms are nailed into the cross that this is where life is found. May we believe and may we surrender. And may we find you there. God, get us past ourselves. God, slap us in the face. We're so stupid. Messing around. Trying to earn something from you. Messing around trying to find gratification for ourselves. God, it's so stinking plain and simple. Change us. Convince us. God, we want to surrender. Because we, we want to see the joy that's set before us. Your scripture says that Christ endured the cross, endured his crucifixion for the joy that was set before him. God, may we see the joy that's set before us as we die to ourselves. It's in Jesus' wonderful and perfect name that I pray. Amen.